0: The Walks Around Britain podcast is sponsored by Travel, the world leader for vehicle-specific dog guards, boot dividers, boot liners, rubber mats and more. Visit travel.co.uk to check out the product range for the car you drive.
1: On the 37th edition of the Walks Around Britain podcast, we discover how the outdoor journalist and blogger Fiona Russell coped with lockdown in Scotland. And outdoor writer and walker Oliver Smith tells of his experience of when one of the world's busiest mountains suddenly closes due to Covid. That mountain? Snowdon. Hello and you're very welcome to the 37th edition of the Walks Around Britain podcast. I'm Andrew White and I'm your walking guide for the next 30 or so minutes of walking and outdoor chat. Many of us have struggled during 2020 with the various lockdowns, tears, fire breaks and circuit breakers. But what happens when you depend on writing about the great outdoors for a living? Well, to find out, I chatted to my good friend Fiona Russell, who is better known to many as Fiona Outdoors. Her website has won many awards and has become an invaluable resource for people wanting to get out in Scotland. And it's read by people from around the world. So how did she cope with the first lockdown in the UK in 2020? And how did it affect her business? So Fiona, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Nice to be on. <laughs> Tell us about a little bit more about what you do.
2: Gosh, that's such a big question. Um, well, <laughs> I guess to start with my trade, as it were, is a journalist. A press journalist for... I don't know, maybe about 20 years in newspapers and um, working my way up through the regionals and the nationals in Scotland and ended up at the heady heights of assistant editor on the Herald in mm-hmm. Scotland and then took a redundancy. I had the a new editor came in and then I didn't fancy it so much anymore. So I took a redundancy. And I think that was about 15 years ago. My daughter was six and it suited me to then become a freelance journalist because I was basically a single mother. And I needed to manage my daughter's schooling and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah.
2: So then freelance journalism and to start with freelance was um, across all kind of genres, lifestyle and news for magazines, newspapers. In the, the heady days when money was free and newspapers were wonderful and they all wanted you. And at the same time, mm-hmm. I was very interested in outdoors activities. I've always been a keen, sporty person and um, living in Scotland Near Glasgow, I had everything on my doorstep, so I became much more interested in walking, mountain biking, cycling, triathlon, kayaking, hill running, all these things. and I became a little bit better known for that sort of thing because I set up a blog, initially, a sort of online diary of my life called Fiona Outdoors, that has developed into a website um which is much more than just about me, it's more of a resource now for outdoors specifically in Scotland but also does cover other areas and so everyone started to know me as Fiona Outdoors and in fact I don't think many people even know my surname anymore Um, (laughs) so even clients now um, because I work for all sorts of people you know writing blogging doing walking guides and um, active guides and not all of it's outdoors and people still call me Fiona Outdoors so it became kind of a brand (laughs) And so that's been good and bad. So having a niche, I think, in freelance journalism is always helpful, especially if you're one of a few doing that particular thing, because when editors are looking for somebody, they immediately think of you. Yes. So it's a small pool. But then, um, you know, as we've discovered, uh, as we go into this particular current situation, journalism and the outdoors have both been badly hit. So that means that your niche is not the best niche to be in. But I can't complain because it's been a brilliant niche to be in for quite a long time.
1: And really, we would never have thought of a situation where having a niche which goes across the whole of the outdoors in Scotland would have been a problem.
2: (laughs) No, I had never for a second imagined that I would be limited to, well, first of all, limited to leaving my house to go and exercise only, (laughs) as killed my calves because I am a off-road runner walker and um, while I live in an amazing location just north of Glasgow I'm still in a suburb and it requires as I found out 2.5 kilometers of tarmac running to get to the nearest long distance trail which is the <laughs> West Highland Way and so I had to readjust my body it took me three weeks to be pain-free from my calves for tarmac running and adapted but you know from where I live I can be in Glencoe in an hour and a half and um, I could be at Loch Lomond in half an hour and I have the West Highland Way on my doorstep and I never thought twice about the fact that I could drive with the dog a few miles to to go onto the West Highland Way and then that all stopped and it it was absolutely unbelievable to have that restriction given how wonderful our outdoor access laws are in Scotland so we had to start thinking again but I have to say that after the initial kind of shock and also my calves being sore, I have surprised myself by how well I've adapted. I've um, just discovered so much that I didn't know on my doorstep, even though I've lived near Glasgow for 20 years and in this house for 15. I had no idea what was around the, the trails I've discovered for mountain biking and walking and running. And I never once drove. I didn't drive anywhere for I don't know, it was months probably. And now that we have the restrictions lifted a little in Scotland, so we're still on a, you know, the guidance is a five mile drive or thereabouts. Mm. The access now is is huge for me because it gives me the ability to go to local hills, the Campsies and the Corpatricks. And I never imagined I would say this. I was so excited <laughs> to get back to these local hills because those have been my mainstay for an evening run for years and years. And every weekend, my life would be right. Where am I going to go up north or um, to the borders? Which Munro am I doing next? Which Corbett am I doing next? And that has stopped. But actually, it's really nice being at home a bit more. So I think, um, but yes, you're right. It's been unbelievable what's happened. And nobody could have ever seen that. and Nobody could have ever imagined that writing about the outdoors would go suddenly backwards.
1: (laughs) You can't get to a point where you actually diversified so much that this virus this situation wouldn't have affected you
2: yeah I mean it just it just everything stopped I have been good at being creative I think if you're a freelancer you're always looking for new ideas because you're always looking at a new way to make money because inevitably doors shut and You have to find other ways of opening new doors.
1: Those doors that aren't necessarily your doing, are they?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely horrendous after 15 years of building up a business and doing reasonably well at it, as well as many people possibly probably could do in the freelance industry. It just went and it was nothing I could do. You know, phone call after phone call after email from different clients, publications, just said no, I'm really sorry. We we can't afford to pay for freelancers just now. We've got no advertising. And it just, everything went pretty much. And you're suddenly going, so how am I actually going to make any money? And there was a period where I thought, well, actually, I'm going to make no money. And I certainly haven't made a great deal since March. <laughs> uh, but it's made me think of different things. And so I set about cataloguing a whole load of local trails walking and running and, and mountain biking some of them I learned myself some of them I chatted amongst local friends we were all sharing our roots and ideas and I've been writing blogs for my website and I've actually been learning horror of horrors because you won't want to hear this Andrew but I've been learning <laughs> to do videos <laughs> of these route so i invested in a new little action camera after i got some self employed government money and some birthday money that would allow me to take it with me when i'm mountain biking and running and i've just enjoyed having new adventures and learning how to make little videos so i've been making little video guides and actually have managed to sell some of those to um local businesses so it's in a way that's that's helped i mean it's all very amateur compared to what you do but um it's given me a sort of challenge i guess a new creativity yeah
1: Yeah. do you think that one of the legacies of this situation could be that we learn a lot more about our own local landscape
2: absolutely so many people you bump into um so i'm most of my friends are sporty it's just the way it's kind of developed and all of us have been blown away by what we have locally i think often what you do is you say i've got an hour i'll meet a friend i know that route's going to take me 45 minutes So you just go there and it turns into a habit and it's not a bad habit because we still have access to wonderful hills but we got a bit bored well I certainly got a bit bored on my own doing them and so I started to share ideas with friends and I looked on uh, Strava for example to see what other people were doing and looked at some of their routes and then now that we're allowed to meet a friend again I think we're allowed to meet two friends now. We've all been sharing those routes with each other. or We've shared them online with each other and said, oh, do you know, have you found that place there? Have you seen that? And, you know, there's so much I haven't seen. And also so much history and heritage that I didn't know about that people have mentioned or I've seen online and then I've gone to investigate. So I think many, many people have been surprised by what they have on their doorstep. Mm. Although I must say that, you know, we are lucky where we are because I know there's people who live in the heart of the cities or towns where it's difficult for them to access the countryside so easily. But, you know, I'm just lucky because I can get out on my mountain bike and leave or, you know, on foot and reach the countryside fairly easily.
1: That's part of the issue has been that online backlash, sounding other people out, aren't they? And it's very easy to do that when you're in a a position of, of a nice village or a nice suburb with lots of trails or lots of footpaths around as opposed to being in the centre of a town or a city that isn't actually a very green one.
2: Yeah that is difficult Um, and and now that in Scotland we've obviously the rules are a bit different in Scotland and England but what we've been allowed to do is we have a, a five mile or thereabouts drive for exercise. Now, that means that if you live in the highlands, then the chances are you'll have a nice mountain nearby. Or if you're lucky enough to live in you know, Glencoe, Fort William, Aviemore, these sort of places, you've got a lot more on your doorstep than, than I have in my suburb in Glasgow. And that has caused yeah, polarisation of views online and quite a lot of unpleasantness. But I mean, these people just happen to be lucky. You know, I deeply wish that I'd moved north three years ago and then I would have that on my doorstep. But there's no point in that amount of jealousy because it's you've just got to find what you can do on your doorstep. And I tend not to look at what other people are doing. Or if I do, I think, oh, lucky them. Look at that lovely view. Just I've just accepted it. I think it's easier to just accept it.
1: And then I suppose we've got to look across the channel and have a look at what's been going on in continental Europe. We'd be very thankful that actually our governments have decided that going outdoors is something that we should be allowed to do.
2: Yeah I have friends who live in France and Spain and I mean I was so fearful that that was going to happen that we were going to be kept. I think in France you're allowed to go a kilometer or less from your house and you could only be out for an hour and it was being policed and you weren't allowed to go above 400 meters from your home or something along those lines and Spain was even worse as far as I know I think mm. it was 50 meters or something horrendous yeah so that has been good I think the problems come we maybe would have had more freedom if there had been less abuse of the system I guess yeah. um, we've been asked very much not to go to the honeypot attractions here. People still do. I don't know why they do, because I don't know why you'd want to spend your Saturday down the devil's pulpit with 100 other people. That's just beyond me. It
1: it does make no sense to me whatsoever.
2: I think many people only know these attractions. So Ben Lomond is such a famous mountain and we have a mountain called the Cobbler in the Arraka Alps. It's all really accessible from Glasgow. The Devil's Pulpit has a starring role in Outlander, so that's become really popular as well. But when you drive there and you see 50 cars parked on the side of a busy, narrow road, and the car park's actually shut, I don't know what part of you thinks that's a really great place to go. I would just (laughs) say, no, thank you. That's going to be 100 people in a very small place, riddled with potential virus, in my opinion. But people still want to go there. And there's nobody locally who would be going there because they'd know that that that's not the place to go. I don't know why. I mean, maybe this is our opportunity. I keep thinking it's our opportunity as outdoors writers and journalists to promote some places that are more unusual. Definitely. And the things I've been doing haven't been with a lot of other people. Like I've passed by a lot of other people on the beginning of the West Highland Way because that's where people have accessed. But then within a few miles, I'm pretty much on my own or I'm up in the hills fairly quickly on my mountain bike. And I've noticed people really interested in my wee videos. I've put them on, you know, onto YouTube and onto my website and I've got good traffic from them because I think they're like, oh, oh no, I didn't know that was there. Yeah. So there is that opportunity to inspire. And so I've really enjoyed being able to do that and coming up with different ideas of ways to keep fit.
1: I think it was the Yorkshire Dales National Park who put out a theory that perhaps we need to educate people again into the countryside code and the relevant different codes around the UK for the nations. Do you think there are lots of people out there who have been going out who don't understand what the, the countryside is all about?
2: Yeah, there's possibly a lack of education. That's quite a, yeah, it's quite a hot topic. Because um unfortunately I've heard so many reports now, um and and I've seen it as well on all our local hills and as I've called them the honeypot locations, there's huge amounts of littering. I mean, just horrendous amounts of littering. And I certainly haven't seen it like that before. I I don't I can't decide, is it just that there's many, many more people who aren't flying to Spain or France? You know they're you know we're all mm. in one area, so there's many more people at home. The weather's been fantastic I mean, it's the best weather I think I've ever known for a long spell, and so that's meant more people are outdoors they've got less to do, haven't they They can't go to the pubs and restaurants and cinemas so they're going outdoors so is that why we've got more litter? I mean you shouldn't have any litter. Education would hopefully say you take everything home with you and leave the environment as it is and there has been. A lot of difficulty um, here with, you know, the mountain rescue teams and mountaineering Scotland and the government have asked for people not to go into the hills and mountains. Um, First, we were asked not to go to any hills and mountains. And now we're being told you can go as long as it's within your local area and you stay within your comfort zone. What one person thinks their comfort zone is to another is very different.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I I can understand those kinds of comments and I can't come up with anything better than that. But at the same time, I would suspect that a large number of call outs to mountain rescue and search and rescue teams are probably people who thought that they were inside their comfort zones.
2: Yeah, I'm sure nobody goes out into the hills and mountains and thinks I'm going to do something utterly stupid to um, risk my life. And, you know, it it doesn't matter when it is, whether it's lockdown or not. You do see people climbing mountains in flip flops and they don't seem to understand that the weather can change. You know, I don't think I've ever been up Ben Lomond when the weather has been the same at the bottom as it is at the top. And normally it's far worse at the top. Yeah. And, you know, I had to turn back. And I was chatting about this with my husband actually last night, you know, how do you judge your own experience level? How do others judge your own, your experience? Can you look at someone who's carrying all the right kit and say, oh, well, they're fine. But do you know if they know how to use it? Should we do we need to have some form of certification? I mean, God forbid, I don't want to have that at all. But how do we educate people to learn better and to be safer? I mean, I said to him, what did I do? Well, I started with smaller hills and mountains and I went with people who knew more than me and then I learned and then I realized that even if I was walking with someone who knew more than me and then they got into trouble, then I needed to be able to safely help them and help myself to get off of a mountain. So I went and did courses. That seems fairly sensible to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've learnt my skills over the years, but accidents do happen or incidents do happen even to really experienced people. And that's what mountain rescues. Therefore, it's difficult. I think possibly it needs to start much younger. So if we can have that sort of education in schools, the education about leaving the environment pristine. So it's the same as when you arrive for the next person, trying to encourage people to learn mountain skills and crafts rather than driving to a spot and putting up a cheap pop up tent and then chopping down a local tree to burn unfortunately, that does happen. I'm really hope that that's the minority of people. And I still think the majority of people are really sensible, kind, lovely people and think about the environment. But it's such a difficult one, isn't it? It's a big societal question.
1: It's so nice to see more people outside, but responsibility has to come with that.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, it is a responsibility. We have, you know, with rights comes responsibilities. And we have so many wonderful rights here. We're Scotland in particular, really is blessed with this amazing ability to roam free and wild camp. So, yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, it's it's the same as with environmental issues, you know, if you can and health and well-being, if you can start with children really young and hope that everything you tell them goes in and stays there, then maybe that's the way ahead. Maybe there's an opportunity again for us to go into schools and start educating or online, obviously, for the time being. Yeah, we do want to create a new generation of people who are active, but take responsibility for their actions.
1: Fiona, many thanks for coming on the podcast.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure. I hope I've answered all your questions correctly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and you can find Fiona's website at fionaoutdoors.co.uk and I recommend following her on social media too. You're listening to the Walks Around Britain podcast. Don't forget to get the very latest edition of the podcast when it drops, you can subscribe to us using your favourite podcast platform. And if you like what we do, we'd really appreciate a lovely review on that podcast platform too.
0: The Walks Around Britain podcast is brought to you by Travel, the world-leading manufacturer and retailer of vehicle-specific dog guards, boot dividers, boot liners, rubber mats and more. Adding travel products enables you to get out and enjoy walking adventures with friends, family and dogs so that everybody enjoys the journey. Travel offers the best fit guarantee of any brand when purchasing direct through their website or your money back. Visit travel.co.uk to see the product range available for the car you drive.
1: Snowdon is the highest mountain in Wales and thanks to its location and the numbers of clearly defined paths up its slopes it is also one of the busiest mountains in the world. The Snowdonian National Park Authority estimates around 375,000 people a year climb the six public rights of way to the summit. Travel writer and avid walker Oliver Smith had started to write a feature about Snowdon when the pandemic really hit in the UK in March of this year and he saw the queue of people waiting to reach the summit suddenly disappear as the mountain closed. The experience gave him a chance to look at the mountain and the surrounding range in a different light.
3: Oliver, thank you for coming on our podcast.
1: No problem. Very welcome. Can you tell me about what you do then? Uh,
3: What do I do? Um, Well, that's a very good question and something something I spend a lot of time (laughs) asking myself, actually. <laughs> uh, um I, I suppose in terms of what I've been working on in in the last few months I was a full-time staffer at Lonely Planet until until the autumn and since then I've I, I've kind of been freelancing across a bunch of um well I suppose you call them outlets these days don't you Outside Magazine in the States National Geographic Traveler over here a couple of papers and doing a little bit of radio as well so spreading myself about really I've, I'm kind of new to the the freelance world but uh, it's been enjoyable so far it's obviously gone a bit quiet for the last last few months
1: it's a very difficult time to be a freelancer
3: it is it is very difficult Uh, it's very difficult to get to stories to to kind of you know meet people and so I'm kind of on a bit of a hiatus at the moment but yeah I suppose like everyone else just very much looking forward to the time when when we're kind of allowed outside again and we can get back to to walking, I suppose. <laughs> you enjoy a lot of travel, don't you? Sure, I do. Yeah, that's that's been my background. One thing that I I've kind of found over my career is that um, I sort of started out working at Lonely Planet magazine soon after it launched, and and that that point in my in my life, in my sort of early twenties, I found that um, I kind of you know wanted to go everywhere and anywhere. I wanted to travel as far and as often as possible, and uh, and I, I don't know. I suppose I, I kind of enjoyed the hit of going to a new place buzzing off a new culture and really I was just kind of you know I suppose my approach to travel was kind of like a a blue whale with the mouth wide open that I try and take everything in (laughs) Uh, and and in the in the past few years I I suppose as as you get older you you kind of probably understand what your your interests are probably get a a fuller comprehension of that Uh, and for me it's kind of migrated from long distance traveling to, to actually just slower walking based or kind of human powered adventure i suppose like kayaking and cycling and all the rest of it but that, that's what i found kind of floats my boat more these days rather than traveling a, a kind of big distance and uh, your days taking in towns that are 50 100 miles away you're actually just sort of seeing things at a slower pace and you're, and you're finding as much wonder and you're finding as much enjoyment and satisfaction in smaller details that you're sort of you know your are traveling world as it work is no less rich for being compressed into a smaller space Uh, and i suppose um the stories that i've been working on more in the last few months have a good few of them have been more kind of hiking based and that's something i've really enjoyed
1: when we're talking about getting out and getting traveling obviously the coronavirus epidemic has changed and will in doubt change the way that we go for adventure and for travel in the future
3: yeah, I think it, it might do. I, I suppose the, the jury's out a bit. I think we, we kind of like it's presented a bit of a reset for travel. Mm. Uh, and, you know, we, we see these news stories come out daily about how in Venice you can see to the bottom of the canals and, and people are enjoying seeing more manageable number of numbers of tourists. And we're asking, you know, what, what can we learn from that? I think it, it very much shows it how things might be if our habits change. But I, I don't know. I'm a bit sceptical, to be honest. <laughs> I think um, half of coronavirus has been seeing, you know, these kind of like nature's returning stories. And and it is true. Like on my road where I live in London, I've, I've started seeing, you know, woodpeckers. I've never seen a woodpecker ever in London before and they're in my neighbourhood. So half of it is kind of the nature's returning stories. Then it's been, you know... People have trashed this particular part of the Lake District or this particular part of Loch Lomond. Uh, I'd like to hope coronavirus changes the way we travel, but I'm not, not entirely sure just yet. The one project that's taken up a lot of my time this year is a story about Snowden for Outside magazine. And I was doing a story about Snowden because... It's a mountain that's very close to my heart. My mum's family are from that part of the world. I didn't grow up there, but my grandparents lived there. So I sort of spent half my childhood up there without kind of being a really paid up, bona fide Welsh person. My family have got connections to the mountain. So I've always kind of had a bit of a, had a very special place in my heart. And to that extent, I recognise that, you know, it's actually had a lot, a very special place in a lot of people's hearts. It is probably the most popular mountain in the UK, if not Europe, if not the world. And yeah, I was doing a story about Snowdon and the challenges of over-tourism there. And very suddenly, while I was up there, coronavirus came along, and the mountain experienced something very strange. As all of the pubs shut, and shops shut, and attractions shut, and people had nowhere else to go, Snowden experienced its busiest weekend on record in March. It was a sunny weekend, and it was, according to the people I spoke to, the Park Authority and the police, the busiest day they could ever remember. Just huge crowds descending on Snowdon. There was a real risk, and, and I suppose we might find out in the coming months, that it actually turned out to be a coronavirus transmission hotspot. Mm. The local authority people I spoke to said there was a real risk that the gates, for instance, around the Pass car park and the summit stone itself could be a place where coronavirus was transmitted, such were the volume of people up there. And then very suddenly the mountains shut down and uh, snowden uh, well obviously much of wales has been sort of closed down in a way that england hasn't but snowden itself was and has been closed for for some months now which is extraordinary because it is normally a mountain that you know rarely goes a day without having a sort of miniature stampede up its slopes but it's sort of been left to its own devices and from the people I've spoken to that's really sort of changed the character of the area of Flamberis and Beth and places around that just having the mountain on its own.
1: The interesting thing is like you say that Snowdon has that kind of people's mountain type of quality and i think this is because obviously it's a lot more accessible to many more people in england perhaps than Nevis is, and it's a lot more accessible when it comes to the trails to get to the summit isn't it
3: yeah i think i think you might be right there it's definitely a very accessible mountain to a large number of people Obviously, you've got people from Liverpool, Manchester, people who've been traditionally the, the people that go on holiday to North Wales. But obviously, North Wales in the last few years has really expanded into kind of being an adventure destination and kind of trying to capitalise on that that growing part of the travel industry. So there's been the the zip lines there. There's been the the surfing complex there, the underground trampolines. Hmm. And there's been a, an extraordinary number of people climbing Snowdon. From the people I spoke to, it explains to me that it's doubled over a decade which is an insane thought. Well, there were twice as many people there in 2019 as there were in 2009, which kind of, if you, if you follow that trajectory, it, it is really quite, it's certainly a challenge. I'd kind of go a little bit further and say that I think Snowden is a mountain of extraordinary character. And I think we, we're so familiar with it, we kind of sometimes forget quite how beautiful it is in terms of its, its shape, in terms of its kind of cultural history. I think it probably is the most, well, I think I'm pretty sure it's the most beautiful mountain in in Wales. I think it it really does rival some of the best peaks in Scotland as well for me.
1: My holidays as a child were either on the east coast at Cleethorpes or in North Wales. So the mountain for me and that mountain range has got a great significance of of traveling around there in a an you know, old beat up Volvo. And with some great family memories of looking up at these mighty summits, the amazing fortresses of industry that they became as well.
3: I think that's, that's a very overlooked thing, isn't it? I mean, we kind of like, you know, we talk about our mountains like they're wilderness, but um, certainly Snowdonia... It's an industrial landscape, as much as you know Liverpool or Manchester. In some ways, you know, you've got a, a whopping great hole in the side of uh, the Glider Mountain Range. Well, on both sides, you've got a hole at, at Fambaresen as well, as you, you head towards the Ogwen at Bethesda as well. It's it's a very industrial place, and there's mines on Snowdon. There's a real sense that you know these mountains have been carved out, which they have, of course. But I don't know. I what are your what are your childhood memories of Snowdon? You like in terms of the volume of people? It's, it's certainly never been a never been a particularly Quiet Mountain Snowden, but I don't know if it was always quite so busy. I can't quite remember to be honest.
1: (laughs) Every time I go back it seems a lot busier now. So those kind of figures really do strike a chord.
3: It certainly it's it's a difficult thing because you don't want to get high and mighty about it because you know, if you're there on a crowded day, then you are a component in the crowd. You know, you're no different to anyone else. You're making (laughs) you're making up the numbers. So, you know, you can go there and scoff, but at the end of the day you're if you see it as a problem, then you're part of the problem. But there's, there's no two ways about it. It does make the mountain experience very different. Uh, and I spoke to a great number of people writing, writing my story because I, I was sort of working on it for a few weeks. And a few people pointed out that most people sort of see it as a negative. You know, when you, whenever someone's put something on Instagram, they don't want to show themselves in a crowd of people. If they're on top of Snowden and, and they want to do an Instagram post, then they'll just have themselves maybe looking down to um, Glaslyn or wherever <laughs> or, or on Cribgore, and they'll do their very best to crop out all the other people because it makes it look heroic, and that's yes. obviously not the reality and there's this sort of r- romance that we want the mountains to ourselves but also there's another way of looking at it that actually some people really enjoy there being other humans on the mountain someone explained to me that you know when they were doing a marathon on snowden that they actually found it euphoric having crowds of people cheering them and a few people pointed out other nationalities actually find travelling in groups, travelling among people, a more reassuring way of being in the landscape or a more fulfilling way of, of seeing the, the landscape. It's not a a black and white issue, the issue of, of crowds on Snowdon or, or crowds on any of our mountains, really. It's impossible to deny that it the affects the quality of your experience.
1: So the great thing also is that it's an accessible mountain from the point of view of people who don't want to walk up it can still get up on a train
3: yeah and I mean that's also a very a very interesting issue because I met a guy once who who's based in the lake district and is is a bit of a um, figure in the outdoor scene there and he said, Oh I'm not interested in Snowden because there's a train going up it and you know it was kind of extolling the virtues of all the peaks in the lake district <laughs> but actually i think I think he's wrong. I think that's probably what makes it a much more interesting mountain than any mountains in the lake district. It does actually mean that uh, anybody of any ability, uh, and that includes children or perhaps the elderly uh, or, or, or perhaps people who might be disabled, they can get to the top of Snowdon in a way they can't to uh, any of the peaks in England, Wales, and, uh, and perhaps they can on Cairngorm as well. But it, it's it's an extraordinarily accessible mountain and people can get that mountain experience without walking up there. I think that's a great thing in many ways. And also they... Uh, another thing i haven't quite realized is how important the railway is to the mountain rescue team in 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 Flambaris in terms of getting people who for instance who suffer a heart attack or sustain an injury, getting them back down the mountain it plays a very important role and let's be honest like it's been there longer than any of us have it's been there for about 125 years it's, mm. it's part of the mountain's heritage and it's not going anywhere so i think i think you've got to learn to live with it but um but i do i do think the fact that it has a railway up it doesn't make it any less interesting a mountain I think it probably makes it more interesting
1: and I think that when we're looking at the whole mountain range of Snowdonia in general there's some pretty significant and interesting peaks there as well
3: oh yeah absolutely it's an extraordinary variety of landscapes in quite a small area and I suppose it's a bit of a cliche that it's something for everyone but there really is you know you, you can walk up the Clamberis path to Snowdon and For a lot of people, that might be their first mountain experience. And that's a great thing if that's the first peak that sort of leads them on to a lifetime of walking the landscape. If that's kind of the gateway drug, as it were, then I think that's fantastic. But then you've also got kind of places for really accomplished climbers in the Ogwen, places for scramblers. There's places where you can get a little bit off the beaten track, particularly in the Karnezae, a lot quieter out there, obviously. And someone compared it once to sort of North Wales's version of the Cairngorms. I think that's quite accurate. It's sort of quite sloping mountain ranges mm. and quite wild. And uh, and you get this enormous sense of space. Of course, you've got the wonderful ponies that roam around there. And then um, as you head further south, it actually gets even even wilder. There's this sort of pocket between Pothmadog and Idris, which has a little bit of footfall, that is really, really quiet. And a couple of years ago, I, was, I walked from, um, from Corris up to Harlech over the Frinogs. And I think it might be the only time where I've done a sort of two or three day walk in North Wales and barely saw another hiker. Actually, that's not quite true. I think I saw there were a couple of hikers on, on Idris because we went over that. But we certainly walked from from Barmouth up to Harlech and didn't see anyone at all. Uh, and that was a really wonderful thing.
1: Kadar Idris is one of my favourite mountains.
3: It's a wonderful mountain. It's, it's. I, I suppose it, it's got a real sense of elevation because, unlike Snowdon, it's not got other mountains around it. It just sort of rises up out of out of nowhere, and uh, and and it has a real sense of being really close to the sea. I say that. I say that. Actually, I don't think I've ever seen the sea from the top of it because it's always been absolutely chucking it down when I've been up there. <laughs> um, but. Um, and one of my favourite things about Kada is the, the funny little hut on the top, which uh, the times I've been there, it's, it seemed as rainy inside the hut as it is outside, if not rainier. But uh, <laughs> but it is a wonderful place and uh, and a lovely little hut. I, I do really like it around Kada.
1: How can we read that article?
3: Um, so that article's on the Outside website, which is at outsideonline.com. And you can find it under the under the long reads tab. So it's it's quite a quite a long article but yeah that's my most recent article i've i've written for for outside if you want to find out more about
1: your work where can we go
3: you can head to my website that's oliversmithtravel.com or else follow me on twitter at ollie smith travel those are the places you can find me and yeah sure drop me a line
1: thanks very much no problem that's it for another podcast Don't forget there's Walking Inspiration 24-7 on our Netflix for Walking subscription website, Walks Around Britain Plus. Visit our website for a seven-day free trial. If you'd like to suggest a topic or just want to comment on anything, then by all means, send us an email, podcast at walksaroundbutton.co.uk. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You'll find us on Twitter, Facebook, Insta, Pinterest and YouTube. Until next time, thanks for listening and happy walking.
0: The Walks Around Britain podcast is sponsored by Travel, the world leader for vehicle-specific dog guards, boot dividers, boot liners, rubber mats and more. Visit travel.co.uk to check out the product range for the car you drive.